You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Well, very, very good morning to you all. It's, it's good to be together again. And summer lingers on, huh? Isn't this nice? I hope, hope you don't have to rush off after the service, but that you're able to um, stay a little while and just, just enjoy some fellowship together and some good hot coffee. Out on the belt, A couple of years ago, I was um, with with Ron in the city. Um, to our delight, we'd been at a conference, and the second session of the conference had just been cancelled. And it wasn't that we weren't looking forward to the particular speaker. In fact, I, I was very much looking forward to this particular speaker. But as it happened. There were plenty of things in the first session for us to mull over, and I was really looking forward to some time with God to, to just talk to him about a number of these things, and, and in particular, the nature of the church. And I found myself asking the Lord, you know, in Matthew, you referenced the church a couple of times, but well, what is your thought about the church? Um, and in particular... What is the nature of the relationship between us to you and, and the church to you? And, and how can we thrive and, and be the kind of people, the, that beautiful bride that you, you know us to be? How, how can we become more and more and more who you want us to become? And I felt the Lord leading me to, to John chapter 15, the, the allegory of the vines and the branches. And I really felt, the more I studied this, that it was one of the most significant teachings by, by Jesus on the nature of the church. Of course, there is an Old Testament background to, to this. The, the vine and the branches is the last of Jesus's I am sayings. I am. And, and the background is that in Psalm chapter 80, Israel, the nation of Israel, was described as a, as a vine, which, which God had transplanted from Egypt into the promised land. And yet, now that vine, which was, which was magnificent, it was huge, it was incredible. It was described so big that it covered trees, indeed mountains, and went all the way to the ocean. It's, it was huge. And this, this vine was now in ruins. Why? Because the hedge that once protected it was broken? Because, because people were coming in and ravaging it? And, and Isaiah chapter 5 goes on to, to pick up this imagery of the vine and and ask the question, why was such a splendid vine so ravaged? And Jeremiah 2, God asks the question, when I planted a vine from such good stock, how is it that it's gone utterly wild? How is it that it, that it produces no fruit or bad fruit? What has gone on? And there's the challenge to the nation of Israel. Israel, what has happened? You were from good stock. How is it? that such a good vine has gone so, so wild. The vine is a, is a powerful image of, of God's people throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus, in John chapter 15, his very last I am statement, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And here is this grand statement about the nature of, of the church in relationship to the head of the church, Christ Jesus. Again, a couple of years ago, we were um, a, a team of us on a mission trip in, well, at this particular time, we'd been in Zambia, but we were down in the town of Livingston. 
And it had been a hot day, and, and towards the end of the day, as the sun was setting, we found ourselves um, at a little, uh, a little cafe respite. It was, a, it was a delightful little place down by the Zambezi River. And uh, I remember taking this photo. I, I like, um, uh, in my travels as a former missionary, I couldn't afford souvenirs and things. So the cheapest souvenirs I thought you could buy is, is just taking photos from different places I've been to. I love taking, in particular, photos of cafes. Uh, something has caught my attention about the way that people meet and linger in a cafe over a, over a nice cup or whatever it might be. Well, this, was, this particular cafe just really caught my attention, but the, that foliage at the top is this most incredible vine, and I was quite taken by it. I took a whole series of photos, actually. And uh, I, it was just one of the healthiest vines growing, growing there, um, blissfully, um, unaware of the challenges it faced, right there by the Zambezi River, and it was just it was flourishing. It was huge and really overtaking the entire cafe. It was fantastic. And... Um, and I kind of thought, well, here is a vine that, that is not suffering at all. It effortlessly is producing you know, um, beautiful, beautiful fruit and foliage and green cover for, for us at the end of a hot day. Um, it's, it's just lovely. And this is what the church is supposed to be. This is what we can be in Christ Jesus. And so this, this particular picture, um, those of you who have been around Eltham for a little while, you, you've seen this picture before, it was, was on the front of a little booklet in a Bible study that we produced a couple of years ago. That same year, um, some of the artisans around the place did a splendid job of picking up on this theme and they, and they created this vine for us. And so if you're new to EBC, I thought today would be a really good day to, to just try and um, recap on two years worth of sermons. And, um, but I think we can do this. Um, in essence, uh, one, of the, one of the things that really caught our attention as we studied the vine in John chapter 15 was that it was really all about the glory of God. So that out the front, when you come in, you see that sign which says, Soli Deo Gloria. Is it we can't speak English? No, we actually are a little bit enamored by the Latin, but we like the thought of glory to God alone. And of course, it's, a, it's an old phrase which... Um, meant a lot centuries ago. Um, uh, Bach, uh, uh, at the end of his compositions, would put, you know, SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, um, because he, he just, it just wanted it to, to be to the, to the glory of God. So, so John chapter 15, all of our efforts as a church should result in, in glory to God. Now, how does this happen? Well, it happens by by commitment to discipleship, discipleship, the sort of discipleship that is going to produce much fruit. And, and we're talking about eternal fruit here. Uh, not that day-to-day -day stuff that kind of gets rotten after a few days, but fruit that lasts for all eternity. This is the kind of, kind of fruit that is going to bring God the most glory. So right now, we're like every other religion in the world where everybody's trying hard to produce fruit. Fruit, fruit. But it's all right. We don't want to get too legalistic. It actually doesn't take much effort at all because fruit is the inevitable result of abiding in Jesus Christ. Focus on you people just here. Abiding in Jesus Christ will bring about much fruit, which will bring God glory. It's, it's, it's a beautiful picture of, of what God is, is asking as a church. In fact, that's our vision statement here at Eltham Baptist Church is as passionate disciples of Jesus Christ, we desire to, to um, live fruitful lives that help God to be seen for who he really is, which is our understanding of bringing God glory. He gets to be seen for who he really is. That comes from 
Um, John chapter 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We want to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we were talking about um, the filling of the Spirit, uh, having a fresh touch from God, God coming to us from time to time and, and just refreshing us in our spirit by His, His Holy Spirit. And you can go back and, and have a listen to that message on our podcast. But, but what we're talking about here is, is, yes, the very Holy Spirit of God, who is a distinct person, a distinct part of the Trinity. But here in Romans 8, 9, listen to this verse. This is Paul's understanding of, of the Spirit of God. He says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Notice here how Paul just effortlessly interchanges the term the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the realm of the Spirit, then the Spirit of God, and then the Spirit of Christ. Three different names for the one Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit actually embodies the Spirit of God the Father. He embodies the Spirit of Christ the Son. When the Holy Spirit comes to live, in, live within you, he actually brings with him the very life of Jesus Christ. And because Christ is in the Father, the Son is in the Father, the very life of God comes to dwell in you. So that later Paul in other letters will talk about being filled up with the very fullness of God. It's an amazing concept. And and please, if, if you kind of feel like, well, that's difficult to get my head around, it's all right. It's all right. You're in, you're in good company. It's a huge mystery. In fact, Paul, Paul says this. And I've just got a hunch that for Paul, this was massive. Remember, Paul, the Apostle Paul, like you and I, never physically actually encountered Jesus Christ. He did not walk with Jesus on the earth like the rest of the apostles did. But he had an experience, an encounter of Jesus Christ, which changed him forever and was so powerful that he counted it as even better than had he actually broken bread at the Lord's Supper with Jesus himself. He, he, he kind of, that encounter with Christ was the most wonderful encounter he ever had. And it was also the basis by which he would claim apostleship. And so, so for Paul, as he came to understand the reality of Christ living within him through the Holy Spirit, um, he, he describes it as a great mystery. He said this, this mystery in Colossians 1.27, um, uh, which you know, had, God has chosen to make known this mystery among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verse 22, he actually declares to the Father, I have given to them the glory that you gave me. Isn't that absolutely remarkable? So the Father gives glory to the Son, and the Son gives glory to the disciples. Doesn't that blow you away? The very same glory that belongs to Jesus Christ, the Son, is now resident in the disciples. And his prayer is that it will be resident in you and I as well. How could that be possible? Christ in you. There's your hope of glory. It's an incredible thing. And yes, it would only take you this life to get your head around. Um, but we're going to have a little, bit of a, a little bit of a think about this this morning. Okay. Um, now, all of this, of course, goes back to John 15, 5. And and here's the essence of discipleship. How do we encounter, how do we experience this ongoing reality of Jesus Christ living within us, this, this life in the Spirit? Well, Jesus says it this way, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
if you remain in me, I will remain in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can, you can do nothing. What can you do apart from Jesus Christ? There's a life lesson. What can you do apart from him? And it's worth? And it will last for? It will last for nothing. It really doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's, that's the problem with too much rhetorical. Yeah, yeah. It all equals one big naught apart from Jesus. So this whole notion of life in the spirit, of having Christ lived well within us and in experiencing that day to day seems to be really important, right? And so we're trying to get our heads around this. And as I said, I believe this was huge for Paul. Okay, how does this work? Let me, let me jump to another passage, Ephesians 3, 14, 17. So this is, this is one of Paul's prayers for the Christians in Ephesus. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So there's no mistake about which father we're talking about. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. All right, so what is he praying here? Paul is crying out to the, to the Father. What is he praying? He's praying that the Father, that God may strengthen each of us with power. Now, we'd all take a piece of that, wouldn't we? Don't you need power? You looking for more power in your life? Please tell me yes. Yes, this, this is a good and worthy pursuit. You want more power. If you didn't know that before, you now do. You need more power in your life. All right, it is like from Star Trek, Star Wars for Matt. It is, I need more power, Scotty, except we're crying out to God. We say, we all need more power. We do. All right, so God is actually answering this prayer. He's giving you more power. He is strengthening us with power. Now, how does he do this? What's his vehicle? Here is, as Martin Lloyd-Jones calls him, the administrator of grace. Here is the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit comes in. God the Father is going to strengthen you with power through his Spirit. Why is he going to do that? Okay, he's going to do that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. You want more of Jesus in you? You want more of his lordship? You want more of the reality of Christ taking up residence in you? Do you want more of the very mind of Christ to to take over your, your, your heretical and depraved thinking? This is it. Here's the secret. This is where Jesus kicks in. The Father, through the Spirit, is actually helping Jesus Christ to dwell in you more and more every day. How does that happen? Through faith. Through faith. That's, that's our part. That's, that's the step that we take. It. There is an exercise of faith in this. And, and I believe that's what is at the heart of this remaining, dwelling, abiding in Jesus Christ. All of those words are quite accurate for the Greek there, to abide in him, remain in him, dwell in him, stay connected to Jesus. This, this constant connection, this constant um, nurturing, a union with Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an ongoing moment-by-moment moment practice. And it happens through faith. I'd put it this way. Abiding in Christ is the faith exercise that enables us to experience the reality of of Christ living within us. If you have ever asked yourself, 
I don't understand how this Jesus living within me bit takes place. And I don't know how to make it a part of my, my daily walk. And I don't know what that means in this situation or that situation. Well, it's, it's the faith exercise that enables us to experience the reality of Christ living within us. Um, I used this illustration over the summer Sometime, I can't remember when, but there's it it a bit of a favorite film called Crimson Tide. It's, it's actually a brilliant little film on, on military leadership, to be quite honest. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a captain and he's um, uh, uh, a senior executive officer on board a, a submarine. And you can imagine on board the submarine, submarine, you know, it's important to have good leadership. Years ago, we worked for, for Pioneers Mission Agencies, and, and we'd run all of these you know, little tests, the usual Myers-Briggs and those sorts of things for missionaries to, to kind of help them work out their best contribution on the mission field. One of the tests we did was, was actually developed by psychiatrists for submariners, for anyone who was actually putting their hand up in the Navy to say, I would like to be enclosed in a very small tin box and go really, really deep under the water. And so psychiatrists would analyze such people, and they would try to work out, well, are you actually going to get along, and, and what's your makeup, and so forth. And um, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a great little, um, a very, very insightful little test. In the movie Crimson Tide, uh, you've got the, got the captain who makes a particular choice and the executive officer who corrects him. I won't go into all of that. You can, you can actually watch the movie if you can cope with more tight places and so forth. But, but in it is a fascinating study of, of who actually has command. And there is, there is the um, actual, the equivalent of what, what would be called the bridge on a normal ship, but the command center within the submarine. And when the captain would come in and assume command, he would, he would come in, a little, little sailor blows a whistle, and, and whoever happens to have command at that time, let's say the senior executive officer, because the captain's been off having lunch, he would say the captain has the comm, meaning the command. And, and he would take over, and when he goes off to lunch and he hands it over to the senior executive officer, he'd say, XO has the comm. And so this, this, this swapping of command goes, goes over. Well, I would say, if we could just open up a little door or a little hatch into your soul, you have a command center there. There is a particular chair. You are surrounded by lots of, lots of computers and information and decisions and choices and, and emotions and all sorts of things. And... And there in the command center, daily, moment by moment, you need to make the decision to consciously think that Jesus is in command of your life. He has the calm. Very, very important. And as you realize, as you recognize that Jesus has the calm, that he has the command, you are abiding in him. And he is abiding in you. Paul, trying to explain this concept more, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, make bad decisions because the wrong person is in command. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So here is Paul's teaching on life by the Spirit. How do we live by the Spirit? It's one thing last week to talk about being touched by the Spirit of God, having a fresh touch or anointing by the Holy Spirit of God. But day to day, how do we live by the Spirit of God? How do we nurture this abiding relationship in which we remain in Christ and Christ remains in us? Living by the Spirit 
is being aware moment by moment that Jesus Christ has the command. It's, it's having this, this consciousness that Jesus is in command of my life. He is in command of all of my decisions. He's in command of absolutely everything. And this, quite frankly, is the secret that can change the world. If we get this, if we can understand this abiding relationship with Christ, seriously, it will change you forever. And it will change the world. It really, it really does. You give me any issue that you are concerned about on a global scale, and here is God's answer. People transformed by his spirit who are living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, changing themselves, their families, their communities, the world. Here it is. This is his plan. Does it mean he won't intervene in other miraculous ways? Of course he will. He is a God of grace. But over, this is the overarching plan of God. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying, your kingly rule come and dwell in our life. Please be king of my life. Have command. Have command of me. This is the secret that can change the world. So, how do we ensure that Jesus always has the calm? By learning to abide. And so last year and a little bit, we started to decode abide and, and, and used it as a little bit of an acrostic. We decided that A would be a very, very good reminder that we should do this all together. Now, B is for being still, I is for imitating Christ, D, devotion to one another, and E, envoys of grace. Each of us is just triggering a reminder for us of how to abide in Jesus Christ. If you do these things, does that mean you're abiding? No, that will be some twisted form of legalism. But doing these things will be like opening up doors of grace, like channels of grace through which God can work in you to ensure that you are abiding. A small but important distinction. So... How do we ensure that, we, that Jesus always has the calm by learning to abide? A is all together. Um, Hebrews 10, 24, 25 seem to, to us to be one of the key verses here. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up the meeting, uh, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We, we talked about contemporary objections to the church. It's too big, it's too busy, it consumes all of your life. But we went back to the New Testament. We had a look at the, the early Christians who just couldn't meet together enough. Even at risk of being arrested and jailed, they kept coming together again and again and again. Daily they would meet together in the courts. It just seemed to them that coming together was the most, the most natural expression of being God's people. Throughout the Old Testament, there were so many feasts. What were the feasts about? The importance of assembling together. I would say, despite all of the objections, contemporary objections about church today, I'll tell you what, the church will continue strong. Absolutely, fundamentally, guaranteed. I, I, I really believe that. Why? Well, the church will outlast her critics because Jesus is building it. And Jesus is going to outlast you and I and all of those critics. I promise you. I promise you. New expressions and forms will emerge around the place. But ultimately, the church, Christ's bride, will prevail. 
It will. It will, guaranteed. And that's the importance of meeting, meeting together. The B was to remind us to, to take time to be still. Mark 4.39 is a beautiful picture of this. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. What was completely calm? Well, yes, the disciples and everybody else would have felt a little bit of calm, but that's not what Jesus is talking about there. What is going to be completely calm? The wind. Why was the wind completely calm? Because it was subservient to the command of Jesus to be still. We need to have a little bit more calm in our lives. We need to, we need to respond to, to Jesus the way the wind responded to Jesus, recognizing his authority over us. The elements were submitted to his authority, and we need to, like the wind, every now and again in our frantic activity, whipping up a storm of anxiety and frustration and anger and whatever it might be, we need to hear the words of Jesus, be still. Experience the calm that can only come when we are still in the presence of God. Prayer is so important in this regard. And, and uh, um, thank you, Sam, for bringing to our attention the 40 days of prayer. We want to go even further than that. And, and if you want to find out about more prayer meetings and opportunities to pray and to learn to be still, um, come and talk to us. We're, we're pretty excited and is a really, really quick plug for our for our um, fortnightly 412 program this year. I guess after last year, we were, we were pretty stoked that God just lined up so many, so many folk to, to, to participate, and we thought, wow, that's pretty good. I don't know, Lord, from a human perspective, it's not sustainable that so many, so many people would give up their time and, and be a blessing to us. I've got to tell you, as a staff, we have just been blown away by what's coming up this next semester, and we're even more excited about it. We have, um, oh, coming up, we have Bernie Powers coming back and, and um, helping us how to share uh, the gospel with Muslims. You don't have to have done his other session to do this. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's great to have Bernie back with us again. We've got um, Freedom in Christ, a fantastic course if you haven't done it, and, and uh, many already at the church have. It's our, our desire that everybody at some point does Freedom in Christ. That'll, that'll be an offer. Laughing your way to a, to a better marriage. Um, if you just... If you like being married or you like to laugh, come along to that. That's, that's a fantastic little course. Um, guaranteed to, yes, tickle the funny bone and inspire you. Um, we've got um, an honourable core, which is a special course just for men. And if you're a man, it's just for you. Um, coming to lead us in that is Graham Can, who's just kind of like a guru of counselling um, across Victoria. Graham Can is coming, and Glenn Williams, a psychologist who particularly deals with men's issues. He's coming along too. Both of them believe that men actually have emotions, and they're going to try and prove it. Um, what else have we got? School of Prophets, Intro to the Prophetic with Julie Scalata. She's going to, going to come and take us a little bit more on how to listen to God, how to, how to understand the difference between the Holy Spirit speaking to you and last night's pizza. Yep. And Tom and Sue Kimber as well um, are coming. So Dr. Dr. Tom Kimber um, is leading some of our Bible sessions. Rob Coyle from Youth Dimension is leading some of our Bible sessions. And Sue Kimber, we hope, is taking a session on pastoral care. That one's still firming up. Um, so anyway, I, I hope you get our enthusiasm, but there is so much good stuff. You know, our aim was to, 
to create stress in your lives with choice. We wanted to, to have so many good things going that you don't know what to choose. And I think we've, I think we've accomplished our goal, so I do slightly apologize for that. Anyway, all of that is so that we can grow together. It's the ministry of the church. All together, we want to grow to be more and more who Jesus wants us to be. And that takes t- it means taking time out. It means, it means time out by yourself. It means accountability groups and growth groups. And it means 412s and, and Sundays and just taking time to, to be still before your Lord. I is for imitate Christ in this regard, we, we had in mind Romans 8.29. This is God's grand scheme. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So, so God's big plan is that we might imitate Jesus Christ. If you kind of feel like, so is that it? Christianity is all about being a copycat, right? Yeah. Yeah, except it's not a cat, it's Christ himself. We want you to copy. And this was God's plan because you and I are born into his kingdom, into the family of God. We're like, like lots of brothers and sisters for Jesus. He's the firstborn and, and we're brothers and sisters. There's a massive family all coming under our heavenly father. And we're supposed to imitate Christ, look more and more like him. People are going to see the family resemblance as you, as you go out from here. They're going to say, you look just like your brother. And, and yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully so. In this regard, we, we had a bit of a study of, 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 of Jesus. Um, and we thought, well, it's a little bit unfair, isn't it, that, that we're supposed to imitate God, I mean, his God. But we had a look at the fact that what we call the hypostatic union, that Jesus was both God and man, and, and he modeled for us how this can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the fact that he has a special MasterCard, but you and I have that as well. It doesn't have a limit on it. You can, you can use it. You can, nowadays, you can even tap your card against things, and miracles happen. And, and if we are in tune with God and aligned with his will, we too have access to incredible power for, for life and ministry. We looked at the ministry of Jesus Christ, the way he went about his ministry. We, dis- we discovered this little, little illustration of ministry being like a waiter who is serving God by serving others. Uh, um, oh boy, I hate to bust myths, but having spent time in cafes, I've, I've, I've worked this out. The waiters aren't there to serve you. You don't pay the bills. They're there actually to serve their boss. And, and hey, guess what? Same for us. We're there to serve our boss. Jesus Christ, he's the head waiter. And we just, you know, he says, go here. We go here. He says, go there. We go there. We're just waiting on others. We serve Christ by serving others. And, and that's ministry. And we wanted to find out how did Jesus do it because he was so good at it. And, and we want to copy him in that as well. And so we had a look at, look at how to imitate Jesus Christ in ministry. Our big brother who did it so brilliantly. And then the D was for being devoted to one another. Um, and um, Hebrews 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Again, is a, is a wonderful reminder in this, in this regard. The word, the word for devoted there is scopeo, and, and it, it has in mind a, like, a, like a scope. It's to, to scope out the needs of others. It's, it's always to have other people in view. So we talked about love being like a telescope that's, that's correctly adjusted, so it's looking out at others. Um, no more of this narcissistic, oh, I wonder, 
I wonder if I like myself. No, we turn it around and we, we scope out what are the needs of others and live lives of devotion to other people. And it will be reflected in so many ways. We'll stop talking about ourselves so much and we'll actually ask other people, how are you doing? And we'll listen. We'll actually listen to their responses. This was a revelation to me one time when you ask somebody how they're doing to listen to what they say afterwards. I learned so much. And we can do that as a community together. We can, we can be devoted to one another truly in a beautiful and, and deep way. You know, in John 15, uh, Jesus unpacks this after the allegory as a commentary in which, in, which in, in chapter 15, verse 9, he says, you know, you have been loved with a perfect love. In verse 12, now share that love with others. You and I have, we have been loved with the most perfect love possible. God himself loves us with a perfect love, and we need to love one, one another. We looked at some of the barriers to love. We looked at fear, frugality, and unforgiveness, because I was looking for a third F word. Um, fear, frugality, and unforgiveness are barriers to love, and, and we need to confront those and allow, allow Jesus to, to speak into that to, to help us. So, so really, that's, that's as far as we got love. We ran out of time. Christmas came, and and as of next week, we're going to uncover the E, being envoys of grace, envoys of grace. But before we did that, I just wanted to do a little bit of a summary. So how, how do we implement all of this and, and live by the Spirit? What does life by the Spirit look like? Galatians 5.25, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Um, as many of you know, uh, God's particular path for me took me through a, um, a little bit of a period of training with the Victoria Police. And most things at the academy didn't surprise me. Um, serving a summons, arresting someone, directing traffic, most stuff didn't surprise me. This did, marching. I kind of always thought that was for marching bands and girls. Um, but here we were, um, uh, Victoria's finest, um, in, in uh, full uniform, and we had to learn to march. And it actually is trickier than you might think, uh, particularly if you wanted to look half decent. Um, it, it seems that later on the explanation for why we were doing this was so that we would learn to work together. Did I believe that? I'm not sure. I, I, I kind of think it was just a very, very humbling experience. Um, I had a, a friend um, in the police force, and uh, I won't say his, say his name, lovely guy. Uh, I mean, we just got along like a house on fire. He was, um, he was about, oh, 12 foot. A very, very tall, lean guy. Um, just had to be careful of strong winds. And, and, and coordination was just not a gift that God had um, abundantly given him or blessed him in. And so when it came to marching, I, you know, we, he had a number of conversations with the afters. Stuart, I just can't get it. And the drill instructors, just like in the movies, if you don't do it right, they yell at you. And, and he had had several afternoons of just being yelled at. And, you know, they were right in his face. Well, actually, looking right up to his face. And, you know, the, the, the spit was dripping off his face. And, and he was just miserable. You know, this whole, he'd, he'd, he'd done so well, you know, in everything else. But when it came to marching, he just didn't seem to be able to get the right things in the right places at the right time, and, and so we, we just had to think this through together, and, um, and, and, and we just went over the, how, how you do this, so 
Um, essentially, you, you have to be looking straight ahead, but you've got a couple of things going for you. You've, you've got ears, and you can, you can hear the, the beat of the drum. They would have a drum beating and, and so forth. And one of the tricks was to, to not look at the drummer as if the drummer was way over there, but to, but to actually not look at the drummer and just let the sound, as it were, reside within you so that the, the, the beat of the drum was actually in here and you were moving with it as opposed to responding to it. Uh, then you listen to the drill instructor who is yelling his commands, you know, whether it be a right turn, and so you would turn right or a left turn, and, and you would listen to those commands so you knew what everybody was going to be doing. But then in your periphery vision, you, you were also able to see the, the legs of people going up next to you, and, and you, could actually, you could actually time your march and your step with, with the step of other people. And so these were kind of little fundamentals that kind of made the job a bit easier, and and in the end, got better off. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Not going to mention his name. Dietrich was, you know, um, we'll, we'll work that out later. Dietrich, he um, uh, he was getting get better at this. But you know what? One day, one of the drill instructors just uh, did did an extraordinary thing. They just dropped their head and started laughing. They said, "All right, this squad is never going to march." unless we make Dietrich the right marker. Now, the right marker is the person who is right in the front row, which is not normally where you put the tallest person, and, and right over to the far right. They are the right marker. Whatever they do, guess what? They are right. They are never wrong. The right marker is always right. And basically, if Dietrich couldn't keep in step with everybody else, he would get everybody else to keep in step with Dietrich. That was the thinking. And so Dietrich was put over front and, you know, right over to the right and right at the front. And, and so basically those huge, big, long legs, which were like freeways, you know, were going up and down and, and other less blessed people like myself were sort of, whoa, that's a long leg. But in our periphery, we were able to kind of keep in step with the person who was on our right, who was keeping in step with the person who was on our right, who was keeping in step with the right marker, right? Right. These little things helped us to, to learn to march, to, to have the beat of the drum in us, not out there, something we respond to, but in us, which, which was just kind of, it, was, it became a part of us to, to be listening to the instructions by the, by the drill instructor, to in our periphery just be, be always knowing that we're in step with the right marker, to keep our eyes on the, on the right marker. And it seems to me if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, the same principles apply. We, we need to, we need to um, be listening to the, to the beat of God's drum, but it shouldn't be something that's out there. It should be in here. I've done this, or asked this little, or done this little exercise with elfin people before. Some of, you, some of you know exactly what I'm doing here, but let me, let me just do it again. I want you to just close your eyes for a very brief moment because I know it's hot and this is going to be tempting. Close your eyes for a brief moment. Now turn your attention to Jesus. Turn your attention to Jesus Christ. Okay, now open your eyes. When I invited you to turn your attention to Jesus Christ, let me ask you this. Was he up there or was he in here? Because theologically, he is in here, residing within you by the Holy Spirit. And if you want 
to just innately be able to respond to the beat of God's drum, you got to get that beat of his drum in here. The beat of God's drum can't be out there, a sound which bang, whoa, ha, bang, ho, ha. You know, it's just kind of that delay will lead you into sin. That delay will make you make bad choices. That delay, you may not even hear God speaking to you. The trick is to get the beat of God's drum in here, residing within, so that it is, is not the effect so much as the cause of everything that you think and everything that you do and everything that you speak and everything. You get the point. Getting the beat of God's drum within you. Then the Holy Spirit is also here to guide us. Give us that nudge. I want you to speak to this person. I want you to do this. You know, I, I, I don't think that was really the appropriate way to go about this. And just allow the Holy Spirit to make those little corrections. Left turn, right turn, stop. March on the spot. Whatever it might be. Allow the Spirit of God to, to guide us in our day-to-day -day life. And then, of course, if ever we're lost, to keep our eyes on the right marker. And who is more right than anyone else? Jesus Christ. I was having a little bit of a chat with one of the, one of the interns the other day. They were talking about the, the dilemma of social justice and, and so forth and how to respond. And so many different people thinking, you've got to respond this way. You've got to respond this way. And, and I said, well, my little formula is this. If you want to act justly, you've got to know what is right, right? You've got to know what righteousness looks like. And if you want to know what is right, you've got to know the one who is right. More right than than anyone else in the world, the only one who is truly right, the righteous one, of course, God. Well, Jesus Christ, the perfect representation of God the Father, he has marked out life for us. He's our right marker. He's modeled for us the way to live. And if we keep our eyes on him, we can ensure that we'll be keeping in step with him. So here's the final thought for the morning, and you have done so well in this heat. Has Jesus got the calm? Because when you are aware moment by moment that Jesus has the command of your life, you are abiding in him. Abiding in him is realizing the command of Jesus in your life. And that's what it means to, to live by the Spirit. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.